0: Welcome to the Peak Provider NDIS Podcast. My name is Chris Hall, your host, and, and today I've got Emma Benison, who's the Chief Innovation Officer from Life Without Barriers. Um, Emma is an advocate, mentor, innovator, visionary leader who is passionate about creating organizational culture that attracts great people, achieves outstanding results, and nurtures future leaders. So, Emma, it's a pleasure to have you on today. You're so you're a, a mover and a shaker in the industry, so I'm really interested to talk about some of the initiatives that you're doing at Life Without Barriers, plus some of the other organizations that you're involved with. So uh, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. So look, I mean, Emma, um, in terms of Life Without Barriers, um, can you tell us a little bit about you know your background and your journey um, in terms of becoming the Chief Innovation Officer at Life Without Barriers?
1: Well, it's been a pretty long journey in one way or another. Um, you know, if we wanted to sort of talk about my advocacy journey, that goes back about thirty years. I've, I think my my first um, real advocacy experience happened when I was about seventeen, and um, somebody said to me, I was in year twelve at school, and you know how they do those kind of, or they used to do those standardized tests. Mm-hmm. And somebody made the mistake of of saying to me, "Oh, in this in the booklet that talks about the test, they say that anybody in Australia um, or anybody in Queensland, in fact, it was can do can do this test." And and of course that got me a bit fired up because I was like, "Well, hang on, I can't." They've told me I can't because it's you know it's it's quite visual and and whatever. And so I you know I went home and told my dad and and. He, he said, well, what do you want to do about it? And so we went and had a meeting and we got them to let me do the test. And, you know, so that's where my kind of advocacy journey started. And I'm always very kind of grateful to my dad for recognising that, you know, this was, this was an injustice and uh, it was discriminatory and we needed to do something about it. And I always kind of credit him with um, getting me interested in it, really um but you know since then i've um i've held three ceo roles um the first was with uh access arts the queensland's arts and disability organisation i then moved to arts access australia which is the national um peak body for arts and disability um, and then more recently, was CEO of Blind Citizens Australia, the na- national representative organisation of Australians who are blind or vision impaired, and uh, that was up until the uh, until early 2022. And then I uh, took a bit of a well, I was going to say I took a break, but that's not really true um, because I actually was doing a bit of uh, consulting work and and you know, always advocating mm-hmm. here and there, um, doing some board some board roles. Um, yeah, and then joined Life Without Barriers in October mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. And it's been a really um, exciting experience to join such a different organization mm-hmm. to anywhere that I've worked before. I mean, life without barriers is a massive, Organization has over eight thousand staff. It's it's um, started out as a disability organisation, but it's you know transformed into a human services organisation, uh, one of the largest in Australia. And so that's been both you know really exciting, but also quite daunting because it's a you know it's a very very significant gear change. For me in some ways Mm. um so but you know innovation has always been at the core of everything i've ever done Mm -hmm. i'm not the kind of person who who just sort of uh you know sits sits back and waits for for things to happen um and so yeah this is this feels like you know the perfect the perfect role for Mm. me to actually you know create change and Mm. um and to and to challenge Challenge um, compassionately, but challenge um, you know very clearly some of the uh, some of the areas where where change is needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to dive into that absolutely through this conversation. I find it um inspirational um to listen to your journey there, going all the way back to seventeen. Um, I remember my my son is an NDIS participant, and he's seven mm-hmm. years old. And I remember when we were applying for funding for the first time. Um, a dear friend of mine, um, she gave she, her, son is also, you know, has a plan. Um, and, and she said to me, she says, look, you are the only person that, and you must as a father and a mother, um, you know, you and your wife, you must fiercely advocate, um, for your child and what their, you know, what their needs are, what they, what their supports are, etc. And um, because no one else will do it you know, as well as you. So I think that, you know, that really speaks to my heart in terms of the parental journey and you referenced your father there. Yeah. Um, it also kind of connects with what advocacy really is, right? So I suppose advocacy is is a combination of standing up for what you know is right, uh, you know, to solve injustice. And um, I want to ask you this: Would you also agree it's an educational piece?
1: Oh, absolutely! It's it's all about education, I think. I mean, you know, it it certainly is about standing up for for what is for what is right, but you know. Um, if you if you do that, and and sometimes it's hard not to do that with a sense of kind of righteous indignation. That you know why on earth a thing you know why why are we still having conversations about people not being able to get onto air, airplanes in twenty twenty three for example? Yes. Um, why are we still having conversations about people being discriminated against in employment in twenty twenty three? But you know we are, and that's where we are. But but you know the the the. The best approach I have always found mm-hmm. to advocacy is is taking, you know, that really kind of um, curious approach and, you know, coming in and, and asking people for their perspective. So rather than me just coming in and saying, look, you know, this is a, a problem and we need to fix it, I'm, I'm always interested in, well, why did you do it that way in the first place? what What was your rationale for you know for only letting um I think it's three three wheelchair users onto a onto a flight at any any one time why Why would you do that and then and then trying to solve the problem together. so you know rather than coming at it as a you know you've done the wrong thing, you need to be you need to be punished. Um, you you need to feel ashamed, you need to be you know afraid all of those things i i try i try to come at it somewhat differently and and say you know how can we how can we collaborate to solve this this problem
0: exactly um, and that's interesting because that um i think of a two words come to mind you've got ignorance and you've got nescience now nescience is not a commonly understood word nescience is the lack of knowledge right so we literally mm. don't have the knowledge about whatever the subject matter is um, the way mm-hmm. I think about ignorance is literally, you know, the ignoring of the facts or the knowledge, you're ignoring the knowledge that you have. So I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of nescience when it comes to people just literally don't have the information. Um, mm-hmm. And that, and that can mm-hmm. be, you know, in your inquisitive exploration of why um, that's fantastic to uncover where there's nescience, either the lack of knowledge when there's yeah. ignorance, gosh, I yes. mean, that can, you know, perhaps be it's a different stickier story. Subject. That can be it's a stickier story. subject, can't it? Cause it can be yeah. like, Gosh, yep. you actually knew that that was wrong, but you did it. Um, but, but you some- did it anyway. Yeah, it, it, yeah exactly. Um, you know, but but sometimes, just um, again, it, it can, it, I love the philosophy of not coming across as, and uh, for want of a better word, high and mighty about it. It's more like, hey, mm-hmm. why did you do that? And even if the person you know did it out of ignorance when they knew they should have done something differently, and um, then perhaps even just the the conversation itself will will stir them and move them on, never to make that type of mistake again. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think also kind of and it, and it takes it takes a lot of energy to do this and and I'm not suggesting that uh you know everybody wants to be vulnerable or should or should have to be vulnerable in advocacy but you know even if if you can if you have the energy and the headspace to be able to articulate to that person who is showing extreme ignorance which you know reality is some people do um that you know what how it's impacted you, how their ignorance has actually impacted on you, um, and and how it's made you feel. Um, sometimes that can move them into a different place. It can move them into a space of going, oh, gee, you know, oh, that I I didn't I didn't realize it would have that effect on you. Um, and you know, and then and then you're having a whole different conversation because you're having a conversation about humanity rather than a conversation just about, you know, this is wrong and this is right and we're all polarised and we're all, you know, adversaries.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's also the, uh, do you know, also come to mind the, uh, the generational differences. So, like, um, I recently turned yeah. 40, right? So I'm a 1980s kid. Um, mm-hmm. And um, my son, my son's autistic, right? So when, when it comes to mm-hmm. him going to primary school recently in the last two years, my wife and I mm-hmm. were anxious about, you know, how will he settle in? Will he be overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. Will he be accepted? Could he be bullied? Mm. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Because I think like, you know, let me call out, I think an elephant in the room. I think, you know, our our older generation, but I'd I'd include myself in that, like in this kind of middle-aged generation, I think that we grew up with, unfortunately, perhaps a less accepting environment when it comes to any form of disability. Right. And Mm -hmm. what I'm happy to say in my little central coast, New South Wales town that I love dearly, (laughs) um, the the, the school is so values-based and conscious and, and that that kind of level like the at the literally the child level of each year group um we've had no issues at all and that's because mm, they're that's leading great it's, it's so beautiful They're leading from a place of values um and and you know sure some kids might go okay he's he's different or whatever whatever is their version of reality and um, but but there's an acceptance and, and that's just like, honestly, it, it brings me to tears, like just talking about it, like it, it, it makes me feel very warm and fuzzy. Now I know not every educational institution, unfortunately, has that, but, but the, here's the distinction I guess I want to get your insight on. You've got leadership of organizations, whether it be schools or corporates, you know, let's say we want to get Virgin or Jetstar to have a you know, more inclusive approach. So you've got to tackle it from the leadership approach, but also... At that kind of level of what is inside the ecosystem itself, whether it be customers or fellow classmates, um, can you see the, my point here? Is that you've got leadership yeah. and you've got the ecosystem. So, like, what, what do you think about that in terms of how you influence both of those? Oh,
1: I think we, I think we absolutely have to influence both because, you know, reality is, um, you know, no, no um, minority group can do it all you know we need we need the the rest of the world to work with us to um to influence leadership and and you know particularly corporate leadership and the notion that we can that we can do it on our own i think is um is wrong and um you know i think so i think it is really important that's why attitudinal change and shifting people's perspectives and as you say you know um, getting people to think about values and so forth is is so critical because um, if we're just influencing it from the leadership perspective, then you know, we might we might have some wins and we, de- we definitely have had some wins. Um, but but we're not going to make that really significant societal shift that we need to make if we want you know, real um, equity and equality, um, for for people with disability and 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 people in other um, minority groups as well.
0: Mm, exactly, um, it kind of speaks to culture, right? So I think that culture mm. has to be lived and breathed. And so you know, you know, in the in the in the, the pursuit of, of advocacy, um, I suppose that that is the energy that we have to input to the system of society so that we can bring gradually, you know, even if it's slowly but surely, we can, we can cause. Um, that 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 shift of culture um mm-hmm. let, let me just um segue into some of your stuff that you're doing in the you know inclusion and employment section of, mm-hmm. of, of your role mm-hmm. so at life without barriers i believe it's formally called the access inclusion and employment plan um Correct. Can, can you share some of the initiatives and strategies that are included as part of that
1: yeah so we we have this plan it's a um a plan that runs from 2022 to 2025. And I guess the the cornerstone of our plan is our aspiration, or our target that uh, 15% of our employees comfortably and openly identify as people with disability, um, and that those employees are at, across all levels of the organisation. And, you know, um, that's a, it's a, an, a great um target to have because you know these these sorts of things a lot of people you know argue about whether targets are necessary and they say well you know maybe maybe it's not necessary to have a target you can just sort of have goodwill and hope that you know hope that it will happen um but you know it's that old adage of what you know what you don't measure doesn't get done um so you know I'm I'm very proud that we have a target um I think uh, some of the um, other actions in the plan are about, you know, the really the nuts and bolts of making our organisation as accessible as it can be. Be it, you know, physical accessibility, be it information accessibility, be it, um, you know, accessibility in relation to um, how we how we communicate with people and so forth. Um, and then the and then the other aspect of it is all about um employment. And I suppose that's kind of um, at three levels. We're, we're looking at our own employment. Um, and that's that refers to the target that I just spoke about. Um, but we're we're also um and, and in doing that, we're looking at, you know, recruitment um, and retention and you know all all aspects of how we're doing employment for people with disability. Um, then we're also looking at um, what we offer in terms of services, employment services to um, particularly young people with disability. We've got um, some small programs for um, for school leavers, uh, pathway programs, um, but we're you know we're looking to expand those over time. And then we're also very committed to. Um, capitalizing on our scale and our ability to have impact as a as a large, um, influential organization to um, to try to, to to lead by example and um, you know encourage corporates and government and um, you know other organizations to. Also, um, set targets around employment of people with disability, uh, and then to also um, for us to also influence social policy um, around employment in terms of how the government um, actually responds to the the really significant challenge that we have in the area of of disability employment. Um, you know, it's a it's a huge challenge, and the the needle really hasn't moved in in 30 years, um, despite, you know, all of our best efforts and many, many worthy programs and, you know, funding and all sorts of things. But we really haven't cracked, we haven't cracked the code yet.
0: It's going to look, I think innovation is the key to that in terms of the supported employment model within the NDIS. Um, I had a wonderful conversation just last week uh, with Myron Mann, the CEO of Bedford Group, um, and they were talking about um, their approach to supported employment and basically almost a supply chain business businesses being set up on themselves so that they're self-sustaining and attracting younger workforces through technology. And so, you know, one of the things we touched upon in that podcast was the need, um, for different government departments to talk to one another. Um, and, and also (laughs) specifically for the vet sector, um, from a vocational uh, training perspective to be better linked. So it's really exciting and great to hear, that life without barriers is focusing on the school-based uh the you know, sorry, the school pathway in terms of leaving school. Mm, mm, I think that's yeah. that's crucial. Yeah, um. Yeah absolutely. yeah.
1: absolutely. Yeah. But we also have to remember that many people acquire their impairment, you know, later in life, and they also need um support. And um, you know, so we so we we need a whole of life approach um to employment, absolutely. I I think. Um and you know certainly, I I totally agree with you that this school leaver um, kind of kind of programs are are really critical, and that if we can, you know, um, give people opportunities to actually test and try things, just like any any of us um, will do, you know, when you leave school, especially these days, you know, I've got um, I've got uh, a child who's well a young adult who's 20 and you know she's still you know figuring out exactly what she wants to do and it's a much more fluid kind of approach i think these days when you when you leave school to kind of testing and trying different career pathways and you know everybody else has that opportunity and people with disability we deserve that opportunity too so yes. um yeah i agree it's fantastic that that we are um we are doing that work.
0: Mm, I like the. I like the. I'd almost use the description "tasting menu," right? Because that is that yeah, is fair and yeah. representative of of the. Um. Of, I guess Gen Z uh, culture. You know, is to is to yeah. go between jobs and companies much more. Um. Yeah. Often. Um. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's kind of talk about the capacity building side of things. So, like you know, building capacity. If, if people have a disability and they want to work in the leadership position, for example um mm-hmm. you know let's say in the corporate world or whatever um I know that that's something that you're passionate about um you know mm. you, you're a great inspiration in that um and in, in what you've achieved and also you know what you're doing in the sector right so can you can you kind of speak to um what that type of building of capacity looks like and some of the success stories mm. that you've um you know mm-hmm. managed to you know effectuate
1: yeah I think the first thing I would say because if I don't say it now, I'll forget. Um, is that the capacity building has to go both ways. Um, there's there's a real propensity, and it's 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 not intent intentional, but it concerns me increasingly that there's a propensity for people to assume that that the problem is or that the the challenge that we face is building the capacity of people with disability so that they can take up leadership positions now of course that's true but there's another piece that that sort of gets left out of the conversation which is equally important and that is that we need to build the capacity of non-disabled leaders to accept the fact that people with disability actually have the capacity to lead because that's actually the other half of the equation and if we don't get that right and we're already we've already we're already starting to see this We have um, a huge number of very, very skilled and talented people with disability in our community who have absolute capacity to lead. But unfortunately, because um, many of our leaders with all the best will in the world and the best of intentions still ultimately see us as objects of charity or objects of pity or people that need to be helped, um, so we have a problem because we're all ready to we're ready to, to lead um but we can't get in, can't get in the door um, and that's before you even get to the question of accessibility and whether we can actually get in the door that's physically really uh, yeah. however, um, so I think there's still a very medicalized approach uh we've 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 gotten we've we've made some we've made some um strides in terms of um, applying the human rights model, I think, in some other areas of, um, of disability access. But in this one, I still think the medical model holds true. I still think that there's a real fear that people with disability won't be a safe pair of hands. You know, it, it's okay to have us in a job, um, but, but the thought of us actually running an organisation um, worries people. I think if we're honest. I don't think people are that comfortable with it. I'm just I'm just being honest.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. it's a really good so, point because the ecosystem thing again. Like we were talking yeah, about yeah, my yeah. analogy of that's myself right. at school, right? You know, if the broader yeah. ecosystem has acceptance, values, knowledge, etc., then yeah. then yeah, that that's how yeah. that you can yeah, create that. Gosh. Yeah. 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 So
1: having so having said that, to go back to your question mm. now that I've sort <laughs> of got that out of my system. Um yeah. To to go back to your question though, it's a good one. Um, you know, absolutely, there needs to be better, I think, capacity building opportunities. And so, what I mean by that is, um, you know, there needs to be um, on the job learning opportunities. So, for instance, um, Life Without Barriers um, is in the process of um, bringing on what we what we call a CEO intern.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're doing that work in partnership with the Disability Leadership Institute. Ural um, has already done this mm-hmm. and um, they were the first organisation to do it. And um, now we're following suit. And I think it's really exciting because, you know, we're bringing someone in who who already has uh, some executive level, you know, skill mm-hmm. and we're, you um, giving them an opportunity to experience what it's actually like to be the CEO of a large organisation or to be a senior leader in a large organisation. And we're, um, you know, giving them that that opportunity to uh, to have that experience firsthand. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really exciting. Um, so long as we then offer pathways, like, you know, genuine pathways for people to actually become the CEO of a large organization in the future. Mm. Um, but so you know it's great, it's great that we're doing that. The, the, the other um, area where I think um, I've had some success uh, previously is that when I was um, working uh, at um, Arts Access Australia, um, I worked with the Australia Council for the Arts to introduce some disability leadership development, Programs that were were very specifically about um, looking at people's um, personal kind of experience of disability, and actually um, figuring out what the what the positives were and what the assets were that people gained from having disability, which is, you know, not something we talk about very often, unfortunately. We should talk about it more. Um, but, you know, there are, you know, people with disability have, you know, extraordinary capacity in many cases for for problem solving, um, extraordinary capacity for innovation, all of those things, um, because because we've had to do it day in and day out in order to kind of get through the airport or you know do whatever we need to do um so you know all of those skills that we've developed um you know can be applied in a leadership context and if we start to flip it on its head and and you know have those conversations then you know it gets really exciting and people start to go oh my goodness I can mm-hmm. I am a leader mm-hmm. I can be a leader um and um and then when I was working with blind citizens australia I um implemented an executive leadership program um, which which also um, had a, a kind of um, an approach which capitalized on people's strengths um, you know of of blindness and skills of blindness to kind of see how they could bring those skills to the the leadership um, experience and uh, you know it's been it's been really great to see people um, going through that program, it's in its second year um, now and it's just, um, we've just had another group of people graduate. Um, and so, you know, it's really exciting um, to see some of those programs uh, working. But as I said before, that only that is only useful if, if there are then opportunities for us to actually um, utilise those skills in mm-hmm. a leadership role. Yeah, and and I think that's that's the next part of the challenge that we really have to grapple with
0: mm-hmm.
1: um we can't just keep we can't just keep training people up and then not not providing a pathway
0: yeah absolutely I mean there's so there's such a there's such a um a rich tapestry of of you know individuals right and and every person has got their contributions sometimes people need support sometimes people need adjustments um I think that you know what I want to say now is' it's not about any specific disability but like just just to speak candidly, I think ADHD and autism, mm. you know, as as two quick examples, are wonderful, mm. wonderful ways to develop mm-hmm. creative thinking and innovative mm-hmm. thinking. Again, it's mm-hmm. not just about people with you know with, with that. Um, well, mm. I guess the point is that there can be a high level of intuition and um yeah. and alternative perspectives, um, and also kind yeah. of that, like that, that, kind of like a complete dedication to what is the truth right you know if you think about like the focus power the hyper focus power of that yeah um it it can bring completely different ways of doing things so i think there's very Mm. much to be embraced um yeah let let me ask you this question as well um suppose like this is coming to me intuitively now if you think Mm. about you know if we're gonna if we're gonna embrace uh, which we should do if we're gonna be embracing employment of people with disability at all levels right Mm -hmm. um do we almost need a a toolkit of assets which are educational assets that inform employers um, on what may be some of the adjustments that are necessary so like again let me do the analogy of say autism right so it might be or or ADHD and it might be I can't work in a group office environment because all the noises are distracting to me. It's a sensory yep. overload. Therefore, I need to work from home, for example, yep. um, or yep. I need to have a sensory break of X, Y, Z. Now, again, autism is 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 interesting because it's you know they call it the spectrum for a reason because mm-hmm. there's all these multiple dimensions and not everyone is the same in terms That's of right. Not the everyone's seeking. the same on
1: it. On exactly, a given day, exactly. We are either sensory
0: seeking or sensory avoiding. Like there's a whole world, yeah. right? But yeah. here's my distinction, right? For employers that need to be you know, enlightened and educated about this. My question is, do we need to have a broad set of assets which are educational toolkits, which could give (laughs) insights to some of the possible adjustments within the workplace that could be supportive?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there's a few things I'd say about that. One is absolutely we do. Um, uh, There are two places I would suggest people go if they're looking for that information. One is um, to the Australian Human Rights Commission um, because they have um, this fantastic website called Includability. Um, I don't have the link to hand, but if you just Google Includability or go to the Human Rights Commission website, you'll find it. And it's got some brilliant resources of the of the sort that you're talking about. Um, also job access, which is, um, you know, the, um, the place to go if you're looking for assessments, workplace assessments or workplace um, adjustments or um, modifications, equipment and so forth. Um, they also have um, some some really great resources which are a good starting point. Um, but the third thing I'd say about that is that all the resources in the world, whilst they're absolutely crucial and I think you know, really do help with that that kind of piece I was talking about before about making people feel more comfortable and less and less fearful of making a mistake, which I think is what drives a lot of people's concerns about employing people with disability in the first place is fear. Um, but I think the I think the other piece about education is just actually, you know, connecting with us. Um, be that you know through an employment process, or be it just through you know connecting with us on LinkedIn, or or you know whatever it may be. But I don't think there's any substitute for actually, um, you know, sitting down and having a conversation with us.
0: Right. And so right, you're so right. Gosh, please continue. I've got so many questions on this point as well. Yeah, it's really well. I
1: was I was just going to give you an example. I mean. Mm. I, I, I do think that I what I'm about to say, I sort of have to have put a caveat before, mm-hmm. um, which is to say um, you shouldn't, I'm not suggesting you should rely on a person with disability to have all the answers and to take on the complete, the mental load of, you know, telling you exactly what we need because you know, it's a two-way street and, you know, you need to do some work too. However, what I would say is one of my most memorable employment experiences was um, I worked in the Department of Housing in Queensland for a while and I had a manager who understood disability very, very well. And she got me in and she told me that I had the job and then she basically sat me down and just asked me a, a whole heap of questions, which frankly really made me think in a way that I hadn't before about how she could and how the team could make the workplace accessible to me. And it was just so refreshing because no one had ever, well, people had asked me before, but no one had asked me in this level of of depth. And, and no one had really kind of delved into it with me and said to me, well, yes, um, you know, that's one way of doing it, but what about if we did it this way? Would that make it even better? And I, my, my mind was blown. I was like, you're kidding. Like, really? That's amazing. And honestly, it was one of the best workplaces I've ever experienced. And, you know, she she would say things to members of the team like, now you do realise that your reliance on paper is going to be a problem here. You know, you're going to have to, um, and this is back in the, you know, early 2000s when there was a lot more reliance on paper than there is now. But, you know, she was she was putting them on notice. You know, you're going to have to change the way you work and I'm there's no apology for that. That's just how it's going to be. And, you know, that's the kind of manager you want. You want someone who's really going to, be in your corner and and who's who's not going to make you feel like oh we're making adjustments for you so that you can be here. Um you you know you're we're not going to make you feel like a burden but someone who's actually going to make you feel like an asset. Absolutely. And it's a it's a really significant shift I think.
0: Oh I love know. that. That's such an inspirational story and that 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 goes I would say beyond management into leadership, right? Like, it's a true yeah. leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to add to that with one brief thing. I think that, you know, that example of a leader is someone with the knowledge, um, with the right values. Um, and yeah, that is paving the way, right? So I think it's wonderful. Um, my broader experience of, should we say, society, culture, is that I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are afraid of speaking to anyone with a disability. Yeah. And that, that's yeah. purely out of... You know, I don't know. They got some. They got some mental blocks, right? Um, okay. and then maybe they 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 feel not confident in how to interact. They don't know what they're going to say. They don't know what to say themselves. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these things that everyone's got their story and their reason, and, and I can tell that with confidence because um on the central coast where I live um I've got you know a large friend group and and I've set up a provision business recently and you know out of that friend group some of the people are like gosh, it's amazing. I wouldn't know what to say. Like they say it and it's not out of, Mm. it's not out of um, exclusion. It's out of a nervousness and a fear, right? right. Um, right. So I guess like my distinction here is that this is also one of the cultural dials that we need to shift. We need to get people Mm. out of fear um, into comfort. (laughs) Just to have that conversation, like, "Hello, you're a human. I want to talk to you and treat you exactly the same as anyone else. What do you need? How can I? How can I? You know, how can I be of service?"
1: Yes, yes. You've you've just actually tapped into. um, (laughs) I've just been putting together a um, synopsis for a a talk I'm going to be doing, a TED talk I'm going to be doing, awesome um, in the future. And and actually, fear is is actually what it's about. It's about, because I actually think even when people are displaying what looks like blatant ignorance or what looks like extreme apathy and disinterest, mm-hmm. I actually think, um, I don't have any evidence, but, I mean, I've been around for a while and I've been ignored a lot, believe you me, and I i do actually believe that, that there is fear underlying those states of being I think that fear underlies all of it um I I I you know I have I mean I have gone outside my house at times and you know had interactions with people and literally thought to myself can they see me or am I invisible right you know and and the impact of that Mm-hmm. I mean, I laugh it off all the time. Mm-hmm. It's my, mm-hmm. you know, but the impact of that, mm-hmm. if you actually stop to think about it, mm-hmm. is actually pretty, pretty horrendous. It's all you know. Yeah. It's it's not good. <laughs> and um and you know, this is not this is not a poor me story. I'm I'm just making the point that mm-hmm. that this this invisibility is is really, really damaging to people in ways that I don't even think that most of us are aware of. This kind of notion that I can walk into a shop. I I remember walking into a shop, into shops when my children were young, like I'm talking maybe, you know, seven or eight, and the shop assistant would still, even though they're children, would still talk to them over me right and I would just have to go excuse yeah. me hello yeah. I'm here yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm here can you yeah. um mm. yeah and it, and it and it happens it happens all the time yes. and and I agree with you that it's it's absolutely just about people being frightened of saying the wrong thing and this is where I worry even though I absolutely understand the power and the force of language this is where I worry about some of the language debates that we get into um, in relation to disability, even though I think they're super important and we have the right to be um, referred to in, appropriate, in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. But I do worry that it doesn't help that that sense that people have that it's all just really hard
0: mm.
1: and they're already terrified and then... Oh God, what if they use the wrong word? Right. You know, it just it just adds another layer of complexity. Yes. Um so, but you know, having said that, I'm not here to uh you know, to make it super easy. Society doesn't make it super easy for people with disabilities. So I you know, I do think there's a that going back to that education piece, I think, you know, people need to people need to educate themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And Now
1: that's on them, not on me.
0: It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I think, you know, what what I'm getting from this is I think that over time, through whatever mechanisms possible, it'd be wonderful to get some some data in terms of even survey data from people. Like, you know, what are Mm -hmm. your top, identifying the top five reasons that people feel, let's use the word, uncomfortable speaking with people with disability. Mm -hmm. I I do agree, Mm -hmm. without a doubt, um, fear I think would be one of the big ones. Um, You know, I also have, people in my life that are more i'm an extroverted person generally and yeah. um, so i get my energy from you know interacting um and um my wife gave me a compliment she goes like for example my, my, my cousin has down syndrome in, in the uk and whenever i go mm. to see him that you know we'll have our chats and the, and there might be a certain point in the conversation where you know he, he he doesn't have anything else to say and my wife's compliment to me would be you could talk to anyone and, and and just make a conversation out of it. And that's your talent because you're an extrovert, mm-hmm. right? She goes, mm-hmm. I find that because he's more introverted. She says, I find it difficult because at a certain point, I don't know what to say anymore. Now, of mm-hmm. course, there's a whole variety of disabilities, but I just want to put that little one in there, just as a yeah. maybe a microcosm yeah. of the space where yep. kind of, if people are more mm-hmm. introverted or less confident socially, as well yeah. as the fear thing, maybe they yes. don't they don't they don't literally they kind of they clam up because because an introvert can clam climb up when it comes to interacting yeah. with people yeah and they don't and know. look
1: that is and that is totally that is totally understandable and look i yes. don't i you know um i'm not suggesting i don't believe that fear is confined to non-disabled people i reckon Correct. yeah a lot of people with disability live in a, a pretty constant state of anxiety too um uh, well uh, about whether people will talk to us um but also but also about um you know about uh you know how how we navigate the world and um you know whether we are going to be heard whether we are going to be whether we are going to get a seat at the table like you know the the fear is not one way Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so you know, we need to. It's. It's. I, I. don't want to create kind of an us and them dichotomy no, 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 exactly here right. at all, because I. Because I actually think that it's that that's disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Um. I've. I've. I've been fearful at times of, um, you know, of interactions that I've had because I've. I've worried that you know I might get it wrong, mm-hmm. um, and I feel a great deal of pressure as you know, a leader in this community to try not to get it wrong. Um, so you know i'm not I'm not suggesting that um, I'm above reproach or that anyone's above reproach, but I think the point is that if we all could just stop for you know a couple of seconds and remember that we're actually all humans and that we're not actually, you know, we're all interconnected. We're not actually interacting with uh, a person with disability, we're, we're interacting with a person. Yeah. You know, that, that would be a really, I mean, I know it sounds kind of really obvious, but, but I don't think it is. If it was, we'd all be doing it, wouldn't we? So,
0: Correct. So. Correct. Correct. And that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Like, there's so many things I'd love to ask you more. I'm just respectful of your time. I notice that we're coming up on it now and, um, you know, Emma, gosh, you know, really, everything we're talking about here, um it all I hope will continue to shift the dial to ultimately love and acceptance, right? Because with education, with leadership, exactly. the ecosystem you know evolving, that ultimately comes down to that love and acceptance thing where there's there's you know, we don't yep. see differences. we just see we just see opportunities to work together,
1: yeah, yeah. and look, it would be really great if we didn't even have to have acceptance, just. Because what are we accepting? Just
0: the isness. Yeah, good point. Are we you're accepting? Right. Just, just, you're right. That's, a good, well, that's actually good. Yeah, two shades. Just... Good, good distinction. I love that. Thank <laughs> you for making that. Thank you, Emma. That that sharpens in my thinking on that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> love
1: and uh, I mean I mean I think if we could if we could just have shared shared contribution and and <sighs> and you know equity equality and shared contribution, um, where everybody's contribution is actually valued equally. That would be nice. That would be nice.
0: Love it. Love it. Emma Benison, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much for dialing into the podcast. It really has been an honor to connect with you.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Pleasure. And uh, just a, one reminder for everyone my name is Chris Hall, peak provider. If you ever need any help on growing your business, that's what we do through sales and marketing projects. So, Go to peakprovider.com.au if you ever want to grow your NDIS provision business. Thank you, Emma. You have a wonderful day ahead. And uh, like, subscribe, share, because this is a great conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks.